0: Could you guys please open Psalm 51? It's a familiar psalm that uh, we have maybe read many times when we have maybe sinned. But today we're going to talk more about the effect of the gospel for us to preach and proclaim that gospel to other people. And many times when, when somebody... Tell us, what I'm going to talk about, you have to evangelize other people. It feels like, another thing I have to do. Have you guys seen like these people that have like plates going around? You know, uh, and maybe in American Gap Talent, they they go and they have like, they start putting plates and they're like going around, like spinning the plates. And it seems like a plate is going to fall down. Sometimes as believers, we can feel like that. Oh, we have the prayer plate, and we have the, the parenting plate, and we have the, the marriage plate. oh and now we have to put also the evangelism plate. And I think many times we feel that way because mission can feel like a duty, like something else we have to do. And we have to do it. But in our Christian walk, we, we, we need to Christ become our delight and we do things out of delighting him. And I think many times also it feels like mission is like we have to have these structures. And structure is good. I'm not saying that we don't need structure. But mission is the overflow of what Christ has done for us. And it's everywhere. So we need, before we go in mission, we need to understand the love, the saving grace of Christ. So out of the abundance of that, we can share the goodness of the gospel with others. So why Psalm 51? Because Psalm 51 is about the transforming grace of God on the penitent. But we will see that once of the applications of the work of God is becoming a herald of the gospel. We want to do what God asks us to do, but we want to have the right motives to do them. I don't know if you guys have heard in the news, but Clint Eastwood is going to make a new movie about US Air Flight 1549. US Air Flight 1549 on January 15, 2009, at 324, took off under normal conditions in New York City. At 327-11, the plane made impact with a formation of birds. At 3.27, 26 seconds, they called the tower and informed of the collision and that they have lost power on the two engines. We're coming back to LaGuardia. Moments later, the captain informed the tower that they cannot make it to LaGuardia, and request permission to go to a nearby airport in New Jersey. Tower confirmed landing in New Jersey, the captain then informed that they will not be able to make it to New Jersey. And this is what the captain said, we're going to be in the hot sun. About 90 seconds before touchdown, the captain, the captain announced, brace for impact. And the flight attendants instructed the passenger how to do so. A national transportation safety board said at the press conference the day after the accident that it has, got, has to go down as the most successful ditching in aviation history. These people knew what they were supposed to do, and they did it, and as a result, nobody lost their life. By now you all know I'm talking about Captain Chelsea Sully Solenberger. We all call him a hero. But think about the 100 people, or more than 100 people in that plane. They see him more than a hero. They see him as the savior. There was a a, a 60-minute piece after the accident when they got together, all the survivors, with their families and Captain Sullenberg. And you saw that every one of them wanted to introduce their children to the captain. This is the man that saved my life. This is the man that did everything that he needed to do to save me, these people will be forever grateful, yeah. and I'm sure if you meet one of them, it's not going to be like 20 minutes before they're going to start talking about Captain Solenberg. They are on some ways like free time because of the heroism of this man. You see, gratefulness needs to end in action. We need to be grateful, but that gratefulness needs to show in an action of proclaiming and sharing that good news that we have received. So when we understand of what we have been saved, we testify of that salvation. When we understand of what we have been saved, we testify of that salvation. Point number one. We need, we need God's mercy. We need God's mercy. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blow out my transgression. Wash me through flow my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I'm going to be reading as, as, as the sermon goes, but I was reminding let's pray before we continue moving forward. Lord, we come to you grateful for your salvation. You you, you did way more than saving us from a ditching plane, Lord. You gave your life so we can have eternal life. And we're grateful for your sacrifice because you are eternal life. As you save us, you save us into yourself. And we can delight in you, Lord. So I pray that as as the word of God is proclaimed, Your people will be edified. And you will be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This psalm, Psalm 51, is a very well-known psalm. And this is when uh, Nathan, the prophet, has confronted David on his sin on uh, Bathsheba. Wow, I can say that in English. That's that's pure grace there. David, confronted, uh, David was confronted on his sin by Nathan. And this is not like any sin. Isn't that comforting in some ways that people that are in the Bible as heroes of faith, they have sinned in so great ways? That, that gives me comfort that if God pursue and continue to pursue David, he will continue to pursue me as uh, a sinner. He has committed adultery. And he has committed uh, homicide. He had killed a man to, to, to hide his sin. So, this is not like, you know, like very like, light sin. But sin is sin, but this is very serious. And when sin comes to the surface, our tendency is to justify it, is to minimize it. It's not as bad, you know. Other people, they do way worse. Look around this room. I'm in the upper 10% most likely of saints. (laughs) You know, we, we tend to look around. We tend to minimize. I'm not as bad. We tend to compare to others. And the only answer for our sin is to look for God's mercy. We need God and we need his mercy. He said, have mercy on me, O God, not according on How good I am. I'm not that bad. I'm not going to do it again. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. He understood. He was under the mercy of God. Verse number two. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. David was aware that he could not wash himself we cannot wash ourselves we need God's mercy and we need to understand this is serious you know. he committed adultery he killed a man but his bigger sin was against God and if we sin against him we need the forgiveness from who? from him And sometimes we tend to forget, God is infinite. He has no end. So a transgression against an infinite being is an infinite transgression. If I sin against Larry, it's serious, but it's not an infinite transgression. So we cannot pay. For our transgression against God. Because he has no end. Our transgression is, is so big. So immense. Because we sin against an infinite God. So we need forgiveness from him. Our only solution is to go to him. And understand that we are under the mercy of God. The only solution is the gospel. That's what... Christ needed to be man and God He needed to be man Because he needed to represent us But he needed to be God Because of that infinite transgression God only could carry that And he is our only hope for forgiveness So when sin comes to you Usually many people tend to hide from God And we need to do the opposite We need to go to him Because he's the only one that has the solution. Have mercy on me, oh God. Oh, are you aware that you are at the mercy of God? Sometimes we tend to think because we come to church, because we search certain ways, because we have been goody-goody for the past like maybe 20 years. Is goody-goody that something? (laughs) You know? We think we, you know, we have like a little star here that God has put on us. Oh, we are at the mercy of Him. We, we, we should never get comfortable with our growing sanctification, which we need, but we should never make, that, make us comfortable that we need Him. We are at His mercy. That shouldn't change. So when we understand of what we have been saved, we testify of our salvation. Point number two, we recognize our sin. We recognize our sin. For I know my transgression, verse three. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother consume me. We need to understand this. Without this, we cannot see the need for mercy. We have to be aware and and not justify or, or just, you know, try to, like, not recognize our sin. When you are in a conflict with somebody... Usually, let's say somebody comes to you for counsel because they're in a conflict with somebody. Usually, we tend to put ourselves as these saints that we have done anything and the other person as horrible. And there's cases like that. There's, there's, there's people that, that, that suffer unjustly. But many times, no, I, I've never done anything. Because we tend to hide our sin. We tend to take it lightly. We want mercy for us, but justice for others. And what David is saying, I need to have my transgression in front of me. I need to be aware of the things I've done. Because if I'm aware of that, then I'm aware that I need his mercy. So we don't sugarcoat Or we put away our sin. We are aware of it. Not to like, you know, to self, you know, like hit us or self punishment. But to understand that we need his mercy. He said against you and you only have I sinned. It sounds like kind of like outrageous that David says that. He just killed a man. (laughs) He committed adultery. and He's saying, against you have I only sinned. I'm sure that David is aware that he has sinned against other people. But what he's saying is, when I see at the, at the size of my transgression against you, and I compare to the transgression against others, it seems like I only sinned against you. He was aware of the importance of reconciliation with God. He's not minimizing his sin. He's not saying, Oh, God is good. He will forgive me. And we hear that a lot now, you know. Everybody's going to heaven. It's a big, good kumbaya. Man, my English is coming today. Like, (laughs) feeling, yeah. (laughs) All those years of watching cable TV in Puerto Rico is paying off. (laughs) Kumbaya, come on. Let me ask you, there's, there's many of us, we have been believers for many, many years. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you still see yourself as a sinner? And again, this is not about feeling bad or feeling inadequate, but in some ways it's about feeling inadequate. Because the most important thing we need in our life is eternal life, and for the good news to be good news, we need to understand the bad news, and the bad news is that we are sinners and we deserve eternal punishment. And then, when we are aware of that, when we haven't say, I'm, "I'm good, I have done anything big to anybody." when we are aware that we're sinners against God, then Christ becomes the great delight. Because we see the sweetness of his salvation. I've been talking about how how we delight in Christ in in our church. And and, and, and a a person that has been coming to our church asked me, how do I do that? How do I delight in Christ? And it was a great opportunity to, to preach the gospel to that person. So I went, when your sin and forgiveness, and you look at the person that took your place, you delight in him. He's the greatest treasure in your life. Because he has done the only thing that you cannot do, which is purchase your eternal life. You know what, what they tell us now? If you try hard enough, you can do anything. You know? Just 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 try and, and, and concentrate and put a goal, and you can do it. Maybe you can do that with a marathon or reading, but you cannot do that with eternal life. There's only one that can pay the infinite sin of us against God, and that was Christ, the man God. So to be able to grow in the proclamation of the good news, we have to understand how great sinners we are and what great salvation we have been given. So when we understand of what we have been saved, we testify of that salvation. Point number three, we seek restoration. We seek restoration. Verse six, behold, you delight in truth Cast me not from your presence, and take not your holy spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse thirteen. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. This couple of verses show us the posture of the penitent. What is the posture of the penitent? And the posture of the penitent, he wants to grow in holiness. He doesn't want to remain the same. He's aware he's a sinner. He's aware he has committed a great sin, but he wants to be more like God. He doesn't want to stay in his condition. You you see what's happening? He's saying, I sin against you, Lord. I've done a great, a great sin against you. I need your mercy, but also I need your mercy because I don't want to remain the same. The penitent person, when he's repentant, is repentant of his sin, but he wants to, be, to change. He doesn't want to remain the same. He doesn't want to keep sinning that way against God. And he's aware that he needs God. He wants to grow in holiness, because he's aware he needs God he, I remember in college Struggling with Different sins And I, and I would go and say Lord I promise you <laughs> How many of you did that sometime? I promise you I'm not going to do this again Next week <laughs> No no this time I promise you Two weeks Because it was all about me It was about I'm going to do it. Instead of saying, I need your power, your mercy, your grace to be transformed. I need to go to you. I need to be transformed by the glory of Christ. So the penitent has a fresh perspective for the need of the presence of God. Verse 11. I'm going to go through a couple of things that we see here about the penitent. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You you, you see that? that? He's not as concerned about himself, but he's concerned about losing the presence of God. He's not saying, well... Let me fix all the problems I made with the sin. Let me, let me not have any consequence about it. Let, let me, you know, people not be angry at me. He's saying, Lord, the worst thing that will happen to me if if you take away your presence from me. I need you, Lord. Now more than ever, I need your presence. And because he needs God, he wants to have a deeper moral presence purification verse 7 purge me with high soap and shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow verse 10 creating me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit with me he knows that when he's in the presence of God he will be transformed by the presence of God 2nd Corinthians 318 says that we are being transformed by looking at the glory of Christ You want to change? Look at Christ. Work. But while you work, you're looking at Him. And be transformed by His glory. And then he cried out for God to change Him. And it's amazing that he's talking about joy in the midst of this prayer. Would you think that that it would be the opposite? Oh, I need to feel bad for a long time. And he's asking for joy to be restored. And this is not joy like, ha ha, I'm happy. This is the joy that we experience when our sins are forgiven. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broke rejoice. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. How many of you remember the the time when you were safe? You you couldn't stop smiling. You couldn't stop talking to people about, about the Lord. You were like so excited because you were freshly aware that your sins were forgiven. I think many times we don't go to that place of remembering our sins, our graces that have been forgiven. And that's the reason that many times we are so like... Grumpy and angry and, and, and in situations, you know, many times uh, with, my, with my wife, when we're going to seasons that maybe joy is not like characterizing our family. Instead of going to Philippians and say, rejoice all the time, I say, let's study Romans. We need to study Romans because we need to see our great sin and our great Savior. Because that's, that's the only way joy will take a hold in our lives. When we are aware of the great sin that we have done against God, and we are aware of the great salvation he has given to us. So, okay, so what has happened up to now? I haven't talked about mission. I'm going to start talking about that. He was aware of his need for mercy. He went to God and asked to be cleansed. He asked for restoration. And verse 13. Then. When he did that. Then. Until he was not aware. Of the grace of God. Of the gospel. Of what God has done through him for him. He was not ready to preach the gospel. Let me tell you this. I'm not telling you that you need to postpone. Preaching the gospel. This is something that should happen. If you are a believer. You need to. Meditate on the gospel and the effect of the gospel. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. We got the application for today. And the application for today is then. Yeah. Then. If I tell you guys, let's go out and fulfill the great commission. Let's do it. We can do it. A couple, maybe Days or week, we're going to be uh, whatever. We don't say that, but you know, we're going to be thinking it. But then, when when do we preach the gospel? When we are aware of what the gospel has to do for us, we will be effective effective uh, gospel uh, preachers. When we have been effectively affected by the gospel, did that make sense? That's the Spirit. <laughs> You see, things need to happen before proclaiming. Before we share the gospel effectively, we have to experience the gospel. When we have truly experienced the gospel, when we depend on his mercy, when we see that we're sinning, when we ask for restoration, then, 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 when, then, we will be effective gospel preachers. Because, you know, when we have experienced all that, our gospel proclamation, the, the gospel offense, you're telling somebody, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Let me tell you something. You are a very bad sinner. <laughs> you are worse than you think you are. <laughs> and you deserve a punishment. But, you know, many times we do that and because maybe we haven't been affected by the gospel recently, we do it like this. And it's not an attractive message. We do it from a self-righteous point of view. I'm better than you. When was the, you know When was the, the last time that you saw the news and you saw like something horrible and you go like, "I' never do that," or even think about it? Many times we speak the gospel in that way. Then, when the gospel has affected us, we will share the goodness of that gospel. I don't know if I shared this illustration before here. I, I, when you preach all week, every week, you, you forget what, where you have shared illustration and like maybe three or four years ago, I, we went to the Dominican Republic. I went with a, with a group of people to the Dominican Republic. Actually, I was in a conference that CJ was preaching, and I was there. And actually, uh, CJ was his birthday. And they, they were doing like a birthday party, and they brought this cake. They call it the Milky Way. It's like a chocolate cake thing. And it's kind of like similar to like a Milky Way, you know, bar. It's the same concept, but it's amazing. It is unbelievable. I'm pretty sure they're breaking some like international laws of (laughs) trademark. But whatever. It was the greatest cake ever. First thing I talked to my wife, I didn't talk about like the birthday or say, Kathy, I had this amazing cake. (laughs) It is moist. It has caramel. I ate way more than I should have uh, needed to eat, you know? Because when you taste something that good, you want to share it with other people. And when we went to the Dominican Republic, I went later with Kathy. She was saying, "Okay, when I'm going to eat the Milky Way? I need to eat the Milky Way. (laughs) Can somebody bring me a piece of cake? (laughs) She was like, get get angry, baby. (laughs) Because she has heard so much about this amazing cake, Because I was so amazed by the cake that she wanted to experience that. In some way, being a believer is that you you just share what a great Savior and how much in love you are with that Savior. Because He has saved you for your sin. Lack of gospel proclamation comes from lack of gospel meditation. Lack of gospel proclamation comes from lack of gospel meditation. When we do not see the need to proclaim the gospel, it's because we do not be deeply affected by the salvation we have. And we do not see the need for people to be saved. And I think one of the problems is we have like an outsourcing mentality in the church sometimes. You know what outsourcing is? You know, you let other people do some type of work. Like uh, I found out yesterday that in restaurants, they don't clean the aprons. Somebody comes and cleans them from them. Because they're not in the business of cleaning aprils. They're in the business of doing food. And sometimes I think we have that mentality in the church, and we depend too much on structure. Okay, this is the evangelism people, and they do evangelism. And that's great, we need that. But the most effective evangelism mission is when you guys talk with people you know. They know you, they know how you are. You, you are with them, and you sing, and you say quickly, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You guys know I've been running, and, and I spend, like, hours on the road now. I, I, I finished my marathon in, in, in November. I'm training for another one. Yeah, I'm, I'm twice crazy. I'm going to do it again. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm spending all these hours alone on the, on the road, and I like to be alone on the road, but I decided to join, like, a training team. So now, I'm with these people twice a week. On Saturdays, we spend like two or three hours running. So they have to hear the gospel. Either you want to run faster or you're going to hear the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> you have two options. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not like the first thing I'm telling them, you know. I'm getting to know them. But, and these are all Americans, you know. So it's not like I'm only reaching out to Hispanics, you know. That's a day-to-day. That's a life thing. That's, I'm running with people. I don't need like this big, you know, like the church has to do like an outreach. Maybe you do like play dates with your neighbor. Or, or maybe you go to the same uh, market and, and go to the same line, even though the line is long. And you go to the same person. You get to know them. And you live life day-to-day because you have been so affected then you proclaim the good news of the gospel. Because you are so aware of the, mission, of the, of the love of God that the mission becomes of, part of your life. I believe in being intentional. But I believe also we need to live life and let the gospel affect the people that were surrounded by it. And not allow... This is not in my notes, but I think we sometimes are so affected by the, by the surrounding environment that right. let's live fast lives, let's go places and, and not smile to people, let's, let's, let's just do the same thing that people do. No, we're different. We're different. Not because we're bare, because we have experienced salvation from our sin, our great sins. Then, when we have experienced His grace, we're willing to go to South Korea and preach the gospel. Then we're willing to go to the Philippines and to the Dominican Republic. But then we're willing to go to Harris Theater and share the gospel, or to Target. If you, don't, if you don't have a passion to proclaim, remember one day you were a sinner, a sinner and needed mercy. And somebody proclaimed that to you. So when we understand what we have been saved, we testify of our salvation. Point number four, then we worship. You see how this psalm kind of like move, Started him going and experiencing the mercy of God experiencing the restoration, experiencing the salvation, and then he started doing things. It's not about, okay, let's start. We're Christian. Let's do this and this and this. It was, I need to experience the grace of God, and then. Sometimes we can be in the two extremes. There's the people that are, let's do, let's do, let's do. And there's the people, oh, I'm here with my God. Shh, shh don't worry. Don't bother me. There's somebody that needs to no, I'm here with my God. But never moved to do things. But David went to God, and now he's doing things. He shared the gospel with people, and now he's worshiping. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God, my salvation, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lo, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice. Or I will give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God at a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. When we are aware of His mercy, when we are aware that we are sinners. when we are aware that that, that we are growing holiness by His mercy, then we become true worshipers. Worship is the fruit uh, of experiencing the 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 mercy of God. You see, being a worshiper, and that includes proclaiming the gospel, is not what we do. It's it's not what we have to do. Sorry, it's not what we have to do. It's what we do. Christian is about worshiping. Everything is worshiping. It's not what we have to do. It's what we do. We live a life of worship. Have you ever done things that you feel like obligated to you to do there's no joy in doing it I'm going to say one when I went to the baby shower of my kids you want something your husband do because he loves you as Christ loved the church there's one going to the baby shower you know you're opening ah, look it's pink ah. and all the ladies are like ah, and you're like I know the ladies are like what you know, the guy, he wants to be watching a, a baseball game. Come on, come on, guys. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> you don't want to be, what? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... Everybody say amen. Amen. But <laughs> well, we go, we do it. You know, we, we, we go there. We endure it. We're, we're, we're grateful, you know, it's like, okay, there's less diapers I have to buy. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a good thing about that. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not our thing. You no, know, and, and for some reason Hispanics they want to do baby showers with with both with not, you know with guys and girls unlike. I'm I I told the church I'm putting in discipline the next person that do one of those You know the husband has to be there <laughs> but you know don't ask for the pastor to do like a prayer or blessing or anything You see, when he has experienced the salvation, the sweetness of his, his sins being forgiven, he becomes a true worshiper and his mouth cannot be closed. And my tongue, verse 14, will sing aloud. It's not singing like quietly. He's saying, words of salvation will come from my mouth. It doesn't, doesn't feel like force. It's natural. Verse 15, O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And in verse 16, it's saying, you don't, you don't, you don't delight of just doing things for you. You delight when we delight in you. And when our mouth out of the abundance of joy that you have restored, praise you and worship you. So David is not like, okay, I need to do this other part. I need to do this worship part, which includes proclaiming the gospel. No, I'm a worshiper because I worship the one that saved me. And true worship comes out of a broken heart. We are in the, in the Sermon on the Mount right now in our church. And we are like just going over and over. Blessed is the, the, the poor in spirit. But so we are finishing. Today we're finishing the Sermon on the Mount. But every Sunday I say, you have to remember, blessed is the poor in spirit. You will not understand the Sermon on the Mount until, unless you see yourself as poor in spirit. Which is here what, what David is saying. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A true worshiper is somebody that has a broken heart. Because he understands he's only half the mercy of God. The most important thing that I need in my life, I need it out of mercy, out of grace. I cannot build it. Oh, and how good is our God that He will not turn away a broken heart. He's merciful. If you are here and you're saying, but but you don't know my sin. You you don't know the way I've sinned. You you, you know, you guys are all nice people, but you you, you don't know my sin. Oh, no, we are all evil sinners, but we have a merciful God that has forgiven our sins. There's mercy and grace in the cross of Jesus Christ, and for believers, if you haven't cried for your sin lately, maybe you haven't been cultivating a broken heart lately. I think there, ha- there shouldn't be like long seasons of our lives that we are not broken down, sin because we are sinners. And maybe the reason is because we are only committing the respectable sins. Oh, but those are also infinite sins. We need to be broken heart, broken down by the grace and mercy of our Lord because of the way we have sinned against sin. And when we understand why we have been saved, we testify of our salvation. Point number five, last one. Then we pray for God to bless. Do good to Zion, verse 18. In your good pleasure, Build up your walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in rice sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. In the last 20, 30 years, Christianity has been about God bless me. And usually, maybe our prayers is about to receive blessing. But David doesn't dare to ask God about being blessed. Before he's restored to God. And look at the cl- ca- kind of blessing that he's asking. Then you will light in right sacrifice. His blessing is God, restore me to you. Right. It's like the, 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 the prayer that we did, uh, the Lord's Prayer. In Spanish, it's Padre Nuestro, so I was trying to translate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, that's not what it is, the Lord's Prayer. There's a, there's a prayer there for our needs. Give us our daily bread. But the burden of the prayer is, Lord, establish your kingdom and establish it in me. Make me like you. You are my God. Change me, Lord. Uh, leave me from temptation. It's a prayer about our life with God, about glorifying Him, about being transformed by Him. So we pray about our needs about blessing. But when we are brokenhearted, we are aware that our biggest need is met only in the cross of Christ because our biggest need is the one to be restored to our creator. So when the gospel has transformed us, our blessing is God himself and our duty becomes our delight. Because we delight in Him. And because we delight in Him, those plates doesn't feel like plates anymore. It feels like joy. Because we are grateful that we have been safe. Then, then, when is then? When we have experienced the goodness of the salvation that God has offered to sinners through the finished work of Christ for us in his incarnation, in his perfect life, in his his dying on the cross for resurrection, and he's now reigning because he ascended to heaven. And he one day will come for his church. Oh, church, we have good news. Good news to rejoice. And those good news to rejoice... We can share it to others because we delight in Him.